rejoice and be glad. If you don't have anything to rejoice about, then shame on you. But if you don't have anything to rejoice about, I'll give you something. The Lord loves me. You all can rejoice about that. <laughs> and He loves you too. Amen. Listen, this is familiar to all of us. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. A better way to say that in Hebrew would be, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not lack. Now, He don't always give us everything we want, but He's good at taking care of us. Amen. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. He's not trying to make a trophy out of you and I. He's trying to make us His sons and daughters. He leads us in that path for His name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. And what did he say in the New Testament? He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely, surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Let me say that how the Hebrew would say that. Surely, goodness and mercy will chase me down. All the days of my life. And we thank you for that, Lord. That you're always on our side. Surely, goodness and mercy will chase me down all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Dwell in His presence with Him. Nothing's better than that. Say it with me. Some trust in chariots and horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord. Give Him some praise this morning. Let's give Him some praise in this house. We don't want any rocks taking our place, Lord, so we want to praise You daily, not just in this moment, but daily in our lives, Lord. We want Your throne to come into our midst, into our moments. Not just on Sunday, but Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. May Your throne be manifested in our moments as we give You praise. And everybody said, Amen. You may be seated. We have Children's Church across the way and two nurseries in the building next door. I want to read you something before I get started, and then I'm going to toss my phone to you, Rob. I don't like to bring my phone in the pulpit, but um, <clears throat> this is a response from Nigeria. We just sent them $2,000, and I appreciate everybody's faithfulness to be able to do what we're doing over there with those two churches and two schools and the goat farm. It says, Brother Matthew, thank you very much for your financial assistance. We bought some bags of grains and other food stuff and shared on Sunday. Those who got it were very excited. The food items helped many families who have been uh, days without food. Most people eat once a day. Your assistance has brought a lot of relief to many families. <clears throat> Those that didn't go around, uh, 
but at least many lives have been touched. Thank you. Uh, and then he shared some personal stuff there. But um, the government took away the subsidy on the fuel. Gas prices are out of sight in Nigeria. And uh, so they're struggling to survive and to eat. So we've, we're keeping an eye on that. Like I said, we just sent them $2,000 to get grain, basically, and to share that with uh, their people, as many as they could. So be praying for them. They're over there in the fighting the good fight of faith and standing up for the Lord. And uh, we know things are tough in America in a lot of ways, but uh, not as tough as they have to deal with. Uh, a lot of times, no electricity or anything. And uh, not obviously, some of them had been days without food, and if they do eat, they try to they just eat once a day. So uh, we know that uh, God's given us an opportunity to help there, and so we appreciate that. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to uh, <clears throat> Jeremiah 32. I'm going to share some stuff from a little different perspective that I shared Sunday night while I was out of town. Uh, I've mentioned this before, but I want to talk to you about block logic and linear logic. Block logic is what the Hebrews were taught by God and how to conduct their lives. And Greeks use linear logic, which is mostly what we do. We've, that's spread to the Western world, and we, we use linear logic most of the time versus block logic, and that's hindered our faith. Uh, because God wants us just to simply take Him at His word and leave all the rest of the stuff to Him. But we are sequential. We like to chain things together, and we like to see the pros and the cons. So uh, that's Brock logic uh, gets its power from just simple obedience. And chain or linear logic is uh, put together by rational reasoning. And that hinders God a lot in his moves with us because we just won't take him at his word and step into that moment. Block logic asks us to just take God at his word and, and get into that moment. And we'll get back to that in a minute. But in, in Jeremiah 32, let's look at verse 13. In Jeremiah 32, verse 13, he said, Then I charged Baruch uh, before them, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, uh, take these deeds, both this purchased deed, which he had purchased, which is sealed, and this deed, which is open, and put them in an earthen vessel, that they may last many days. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, houses and fields and vineyards shall be possessed again in this land. Now, that takes obedience in the moment, because what's getting ready to happen in Israel, they're getting ready to be ransacked. Nobody's going to own anything when this is over. They're going to be uh, moved out into a foreign land. Ezekiel will be raised up as the next prophet in line here. And he will be prophesying from bondage. So linear logic or Greek thinking or chain thinking. It's interesting. Chain thinking. That it would, it would go against this. It would say this is foolish. There's no sense in buying any land now. We'll buy it when we get back, right? Why would we want to waste our money on purchasing these deeds when we know we're getting ready to go into captivity 
And we may need every dime we can get when we get over there. Now, you see what's happening there? Can you see yourself in that? Why would I help Stephen get food? Why would I give an offering above my tithe to do that when things are getting tough here in America? I see how logic and reason works out? But God wants us to obey Him in the moment. He wants us to leave all the, the, the results or the product up to Him. He's already been around the corner right before we get there. Now, let me show you an example of this. If you would, take it with me to Joshua. Let's go to Joshua chapter 6. And let's look at something that the Israelites were asked to do that's kind of out of character for the natural man. In Joshua chapter 6, verse 1, uh, God's going to speak to Israel about a task that's coming. Now, He's going to make it all happen. He's just going to ask for them to obey Him. Now, so let's watch how this unfolds here. It says, Now, Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. There's a big, big city wall that the, they, they say that seven chariots could ride side by side on. Now, that's a pretty thick wall for a city back in that time. And so seven chariots, even if they were four feet wide, three feet wide even, but if they were four, five, six, seven feet wide, that's a pretty thick wall, right? So that's your first obstacle. If you're God's people, you're thinking, man, this is a thick wall. Uh, now Jericho was securely shut up by cause of the children of Israel. And the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have given Jericho into your hand. Now that is a prophetic statement, right? That, though, but Jesus talked like that a lot, right? Whatsoever thing you ask, if you believe that you receive it, you got to believe that you receive it before you get it. Come on now. We don't like that. We like the Greek way of doing things. Let me see the result and then I'll act. I didn't get any amens on that. Because that's how, that's how we live. We're smart. We got Harvard and Yale. We're smart in this country. Look what a bang up job we've been doing. And so he says, see, I've given you Jericho, and so it's already a done deal, because once God speaks it, it's done. Now, he lives outside the parameters of us, and so he's not bound by time the way we are, so when he speaks it, it's done. That's why Revelation said Jesus was slain before the foundation of the world. Well, we know the actual event, at least in our mind, remember I shared with you about the parade, how God sees the parade before it runs through. We're waiting on it to run through. And so all of that happened, and so Jesus was slain before the foundation of the world because the Father and the Son, which most theologians call the eternal covenant or the divine covenant that He, he entered into before the world was ever formed. Jesus had okayed or come into agreement with the Father that He would be the atonement for mankind even though man had not even been created. So that's why I tell you, Often that God wasn't caught off guard when Adam fell in the garden. God wasn't scratching his head thinking, boy, that's messed everything up. He knew all that before it was going to happen. So he and the son had entered into a divine covenant that he would be take our place. Because we were going to have to be redeemed. If we were going to live with God and live forever, we we're going to have to be redeemed. It's not a matter of God's picky. It's, it's more than that. God is holy and pure. We could not exist in His presence without being clothed 
in some righteousness that's pure, and that's not yours, and that's not mine, that's the Lord's. And that's the only way we would ever be able to exist in His presence. So there's a practical side to eternity. And the practical side of eternity is that you and I would never survive trying to walk into eternity in the presence of God in our righteous state, whatever we think that is. We have to be called with His righteousness. So they're, they're here at, at Jericho, and, they're getting, and He says, here's the instruction. He said, I've given it to you, all right, and uh, into your hand the king, the mighty men of Valor, I'm giving this to you. You shall march around the city, all the men of war. You shall go all around the city once. Thus you shall do six days, and seven priests shall bear seven trumpets and ram's horns before the ark. But the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times. So on the seventh day they're going to do it seven times instead of one. And the priests shall blow the trumpets, and it shall come to pass when they make a long blast with the ram's horn. And when you hear the sound of the trumpet, that all the people shall shout with a great shout. Then all the wall of the city will fall flat, and all the people shall go up every man straight before him. So God's telling them what's going to happen, but believing what's going to happen. And enduring that is going to be the next challenge. Then Joshua, the son of, son of Nun, not the son of a Nun, but the son of Nun, called the priest and said to him, Take up the Ark of the Covenant. Let seven priests bear the seven trumpets of rams, horns, before the Ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, Proceed and march around the city, and let him who is armed advance before the Ark of the Lord. So it was when Joshua had spoken to the people that the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets, ram's horns, before the Lord advanced and blew the trumpets, the ark of the covenant of the Lord followed, and the armed men went before the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard came up after the ark. Now the priests continued blowing the trumpets. So that's the only thing going on. They're blowing the trumpets, walking around this wall that's thick, and probably if we know the, the nature of man, any at all, probably the people inside of Jericho, some of them were probably on the walls making fun of them. Mocking them. And now Joshua had commanded the people saying, You shall not shout or make any noise with your voice, nor shall a word proceed out of your mouth until the day I say to you. Now that would have been probably the greatest challenge. <laughs> Keeping their mouth shut for six days. And we know, when you read the book of James, how bad our tongue is. You know the dirtiest part of you is your tongue? That's why the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost came after the tongue first. He knew if he was going to have a church, he was going to have to control their tongue first thing. The thing that has the most power to do devastation is our tongue. Wars and all kinds of things have been started with the tongue. So this was a challenge for them to keep their mouth shut. And just do what God said. And said, uh, and then I'll say to you, shout. Then you shall shout. So the ark of the Lord circled the city. So he had the ark of the Lord circled the city, going around at once. And they came in the camp and lodged in the camp. And Joshua rose early in the morning. The priest took up the ark of the Lord. And the seven priests bearing seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord went continually and blew with the trumpets. And the armed men went before them. But the rear guard came after the ark of the Lord and the priest continually blowing the trumpets. Now, they had a tough job. They had to blow the trumpets the whole time. And the second day, they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. So they did six days. And what if God asked you to do something for six days? Fast. Or to go keep your mouth shut for six days. Or just to walk 
to pray for six days. So, but it came to pass on the seventh day, they rose early, and about the dawning of the day, they marched around the city seven times in the same manner. On the day only, they marched around the city seven times. And the seventh time it happened when the priests blew the trumpets, and Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. Now the city shall be doomed by the Lord to destruction. Now this, let me show you what this is in the New Testament. There, and I've given you the words in the Old Testament as well, Hasa and Batak. This is the word pisteo here on the screen. That is the word that undergirds all believing in the New Testament. It is a verb, you know this by now. These people are pisteoing because they're, what God has said to them They're putting action into it, right? They have marched around this city for six days. They don't know how God's going to do it. They just took Him at His word. They don't know. They believe God's going to bring the walls down. We don't, they don't know how it's going to happen, but they're believing God and taking Him at His word. They're keeping their mouth shut so they can't be dickering with one another and saying, wonder how this is going to happen. Boy, this seems far-fetched to me. Whatever's going on in their minds, they're keeping it to themselves and they're being obedient. So block logic is what produces pisteo. That's what produces it. Linear logic won't always produce pisteo. Sometimes it may step into it, but it won't always step into it. And God's asking you and I to live by faith. So you know what He's asking? He's asking for you and I to use block logic daily and to step into faith daily. Because we're going to see, reread that in just a minute. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Now, I don't care. I'm not pleasing God by getting in this pulpit this morning. I'm pleasing God by living by faith. None of these people on this platform, no matter how talented they are, please God with their talent this morning because He's the one that gave them the talent. How can we impress God with something we got from Him to start with? What pleases God is everybody that stood on this platform and everybody that's in these seats this morning, whether or not you're living by faith. Now, I'm going to say something that's going to be hard to receive, but I don't care. I'm going to say it anyway because I've got enough gray hair not to care. If the wisdom you've been gaining through your life is causing you to not have faith, it's not from God. Because that's what happens to us older Christians. We get wiser, we think. And we've gained all this so-called wisdom, but it's starting to interfere with our faith. And if the wisdom you think you've been getting is interfering with you having faith, it didn't come from God. It might have come from Harvard or come from your own uh, gaining of knowledge or somebody handed you off something. But God does not do anything in our lives that interferes with our faith. He's constantly working in our lives to build up our faith. The Bible says that the trying of our faith is more precious than any gold we think we might have. So the main thing God's working on in our lives is faith. And He don't want us to get out somewhere and get so wise, at least we think we get so wise, that we start operating back in this linear logic or this chain logic. That we're going to wait and see how things work out. I said this to you uh, uh, Wednesday that you should have made up your mind you weren't going to quit yesterday. We don't wait till we see how things are going to fall out and decide if we're going to follow through on something with God. We decided yesterday. We settled that yesterday. So we take God at His word 
knowing that he's already been around the corner before we get there. We don't know what's around the corner. We don't understand all of his ways, but we know he can be trusted. We've seen his track record, and we know that he cannot lie, he cannot do wrong, he cannot sin, he's not even tempted with sin, so God is perfect and just in all of his ways. That's how I operate with my faith, right? I live by faith. And then he says, he says, only uh, now the city shall be doomed, the Lord to destruction, and all who are in it. Only Rahab the harlot shall live, she and all who are with her in the house, because she hid the messengers uh, that, we, that we sent. So she acted in faith on the God of the universe, right? She's a harlot. She'll be in heaven. She practiced harlotry. But when they gave her the word of God, she believed it. Now, how many people in Jericho thought that those walls were coming down, do you think? Because all of them were probably living by linear logic, except for one lady, and she was a prostitute. They come to town, the men of God came to town, she hid them because she believed what they said. And the Bible, she hung a scarlet thread in the window where she was at so they would know that scarlet thread representing the blood of Christ that was to come, redemption. She got redeemed not because she had been a good girl. She got redeemed not because she knew all the theology. She didn't know any theology. She got redeemed because she believed and she hung her body on it, though she had no idea how it was going to work out. Amen. That's block logic. The Hebrews were taught obedience was the reason for the decision. Not because they looked down the road and everything looked like it would work out. How many knows that don't always come to pass anyway? You look down the road and you think, well, it looks like all the things are lined up. And you get down the road and things aren't lined up or something moved out of its place that you thought was lined up to start with. So their criteria for block logic was simply obedience. That not to question God's authority or question His ways in their lives, just simply to obey. That is a good servant. A good servant is not somebody that gets up here and preaches or gets up here and sings or hands out communion. A good servant is somebody who gets up every day living in block logic to obey their Lord. Do you realize what we call Him in the New Testament more than any other word with all caps? Lord. We call Him Lord. But do we live as He is our Lord? Do we just hear His voice and step into it? Now, I'll guarantee you these people were battling the flesh. How's this wall going to come down? I'll guarantee you Rahab was a stick in the mud inside of the wall, believing that, that this wall was going to come down. She was probably the only one inside that city that thought the wall was coming down. And so she's believing God. She's took him a block logic. She got the word. She stood on it. Only Rahab the harlot shall live, and, and, and she and all who are with her in the house because she hid the messengers, and you, by all means, abstain from the accursed things, lest you become accursed when you take of the accursed things and make the camp of Israel accursed and trouble. But all the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and iron are consecrated to the Lord. They shall become into the treasury of the Lord. So God, this is the first battle of the promised land. This is the tithe off the promised land. God said, I get the tithe. All the spoils of the first conquering, they belong to me. That, that's the tithe and the first fruit. Don't take any of that. God said, that's mine. 
You, when you go in and conquer the rest, you can have all the spoils. So this is a type of a tithe or the first fruits that belongs to God. And so they, that, but we know, and we're not going to get into that, one of the guys decided to take some or steal from God. So the people shouted when the priests blew the trumpets, and it happened when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, and the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat, and the people went in up the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. Now you think about that for a minute. You had to live in block logic to do, go along with that. If you're going to build a boat the size of a football field and work on it for 120 years, you got to be a block logic guy. Because he's not seeing any rain. He's not seeing any signs of any rain. And for him to take God at his word and just step out and start doing it. And, how many, and I, I, I say this jokingly, but how, how many times do you think he had coffee with his wife in the morning before he went to work on the ark and just talking about the whole thing? About how people are making fun of him. Everybody's asking him, what's rain? Where's it coming from? Oh yeah, everything's going to be underwater. And just, oh, and you, really? The animals are just going to come right up to the boat and get in? They're just going to walk right in? Really? Can you imagine hearing all the ridicule day after day and then 60 years into it? And there sits Noah with his wife. And, she, and they're having coffee. And by this time, they've went through 12 or 13 coffee pots. Still waiting on God, right? Still just like Abraham and Sarah. Taking God at His Word. Block logic that says, I don't have to see around the corner. I don't have to have everything chain linked together, right? I don't have to have a block chain for my life to move forward. In other words, the Israelites were taught, I can stay right here in this box and get God's Word and step out on it. I don't have to see everything around me. In fact, that's what happened to Peter, right? He started seeing everything around him. He was fine as long as he just stepped out and took Jesus at His Word. Now, let's go to Hebrews chapter 6. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 6, and let's, or excuse me, chapter 11, verse 6, and let's, verse 1, let's start with verse 1. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, and let's think about what's being said here to us. He says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So I can move and go toward that corner even though I don't know what's around that corner because I'm living different, right? I'm living a different life based on faith, not by sight. He says, for by it the elders obtained a good testimony. Now notice, that's, this whole chapter is about people who were uh, praised and rewarded because of their faith. Not because of their actions and not because of their performance, but because, in other words, I couldn't even speak without God. I'm not a good preacher because I got good at that. However, whatever level of preacher I'm at, whatever I'm capable of doing, that's God's doing inside of me. Whatever talent you have, God made you that way. That, you, you can't take credit for that. And that's what's wrong with the world and half the church. Look at me. Look how good I am at what I do. You couldn't do, you, we couldn't even draw another breath without God. Much less function intelligently, or sometimes we function intelligently. We couldn't do any of that without God. We need to, we need to go back to Sunday school. And remind ourselves that every good and perfect gift comes from God. And we remind ourselves that he, our God can do anything. doesn't matter if you're 8 years old or 88 years old. Your God can do anything. 
We need to remind ourselves that we don't get too wise or we don't go to enough, uh, we've not been a, lived life long enough to, to just live by our wisdom. We got to keep living by faith because if we're not living by faith, we're not pleasing God. I don't care how many soup kitchens you work in. If you're not living by faith, we're not pleasing God. And he says, for by faith we understand the world were framed by the word of God. We don't understand all that, but we know it because we know God cannot lie. And we've seen his track record. So that things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. Right? So God has made all this. For by faith Abel offered to God more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts through it being dead still speaks. By faith Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. So how did he please God? By faith. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. So we're not going to please God unless we're living, having faith. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder. That's an accounting term in the Greek. It means giver or payer of wages. God doesn't mean God always gives you money for something, but it means God is a giver. He's going to reward you and I for us doing what? He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Now I got some, I want to talk to you about this word diligently, and then we're going to get back to block logic. The word diligent, we know that it's intentional. It's somebody who's intent about going after something, right? But here's what I found about this definition that I thought was interesting. It's uh, what it's not. That's interesting. Diligent is someone who is not neglecting something. I want you to hear that. You don't neglect taking showers, do you? If you do, somebody won't be sitting by you pretty soon. You don't neglect brushing your teeth, do you? You don't neglect feeding yourself, do you? But do you neglect God? He's a rewarder of those who don't neglect Him. You hear what I'm saying? Is one day missing out neglect? Let me ask you this. What if I didn't attend to my children one day? Is that neglect? What if I didn't feed them one day? And what happens is that can become a pattern in our lives. We can start neglecting God more and more and more. Now let me ask you something. Now I'm going to pick on some stuff here, but I just want you to... Nobody has to raise their hand. I just want you to think about it. If this person spends two hours on social media, and this person spends that same two hours attending to the Lord, who's going to get rewarded more? Come on now. Now, I'm not trying to put us in competition. I'm just trying to get us to think. I'm not saying you can't spend time on some social media, but I'm just saying, are you doing other things, no matter what it is? I'll speak to the older generation, watching television. Do you watch more television than you... Do you does it cause you to neglect God? Whatever. You can fill in the blank with whatever. So, you may get frustrated 
if you look at somebody and think, man, the Lord just keeps showing up for them. But you don't know how much they're attending to the Lord. They may be like Jesus. If Jesus got so busy during the day, He made sure He got His praying in, He would pray all night. They may be that intentional about spending time with Jesus. And so I challenge you, we're not trying to get anybody in any competition, but I'm challenging you to give God a little time every day and make sure you don't neglect Him. He won't take your whole day up. Well, He might sometimes, but He, he knows you've got to work. He knows you have a family. He gave you all those things. But He don't want to be neglected. And it's to our benefit that we do not neglect Him. Right? Because He is a payer of wages a rewarder to those who do not neglect Him. Now think about that. I've neglected the Lord before. Am I the only one that's done it? Nobody else raised their hand, so I guess I am. How many of you are liars? <laughs> so, we don't wanna, you don't want to neglect the Lord because He rewards people who do not neglect Him. See, he didn't put no time frame on He's not trying to make you a high priest in the sense of your duty. He's made us all priests, but he wants you to not neglect him. Tell your neighbor, say, don't, need, don't be neglecting the Lord. <clears throat> He's your Lord. He wants to direct you. He wants you to... Now, let's look at uh, 2 Corinthians 5 and 7 on the screen here. Here's what Paul said, what the Holy Spirit said through Paul. For we walk by faith and not by sight. Do we? Do we walk by faith and not by sight? Ask yourself that question. Is that your daily life? That's what we're called to do. You won't live this way if you live in linear logic. You'll only live this way if you live in block logic. Now, this, I, and I may do this. I may take a time and and give an extensive study in a different setting on linear logic, because there's a lot to learn about block logic and linear logic. But if you, don't, if you don't live in block logic, just taking God at His Word, you won't live like that. You want to make sure everything's worked out. Right? And us men are usually better at block logic than women, because we don't ask directions for nothing. It makes it easier on us to step into it. My wife can tell you before GPS how many times we took scenic routes when we were out of town. So we're better at that just simply because we're hard-headed. No, I believe it's right up here. Famous last words, right, of the guy leading the way. And so he says, it's impossible to please him without faith. And we're going to live by faith and not sight. Now, we got to grow in that. We grow in that by gain, our trust growing in the Lord. But as we watch Him perform in our lives, perform is probably not the best word, but interact in our lives, we watch that the, the things come to be as we live by block logic. Now, Hebrews were taught to make decisions based on obedience. And that was it. And think about the walls of Jericho. Think about Goliath. Think about Moses' parents taking it or sending him down to the river. Those decisions 
are not linear logic decisions. Because if you take Moses down to the river and stick him in the river, <clears throat> then you've got all kinds of dynamics there, right? Drowning, snakes, anacondas, or however big the snake's biggest telephone pole. Whatever kind of fish they got over there that could destroy surely a, a newborn or a, a, a three-month-old or whatever. six, All the, the forces that are working against that move, right? All the forces that were working in these people's head as they walked around the walls of Jericho. All the things that David had to overcome when he looked down in that valley and saw that giant. Linear logic would not have followed through with any of that. Linear logic would have brought that in to a different realm. And it would have put God off. Now, how many of you have put God off before? I've done that. You put God off because something in that setting, whether it was something you heard or something, it seemed off. It didn't seem like it was right. And instead of obeying God, you let logic or reason talk you out of obeying God. Now, I believe God's going to get His work done. So He can use a donkey if He needs to, and if, if we're resistant to His will, just like the prophet was. God can use a donkey. But you've got to understand, God's not asking you to critique Him when He shows up into your life. In fact, that's stepping out of bounds. God's not asking you to give Him the okay that you've approved the directions and plans He's trying to hand off. He's not looking for any of that. God's looking for that simple yay from us. He said, if you're going to receive the kingdom of God, you've got to be like a little child. If you tell a little child something, they believe it. And they're ready to step into it. And they don't ask all the questions we ask as we get older and so-called wiser. So if we're going to receive the kingdom of God and continue to receive the kingdom of God, we've got to approach that like a little child. If you told a little child you were going to take it to Dollywood or wherever, when they jump in the car, they don't say, did you have the brakes checked before we got in? Are you sure you know how to get there? Now they may say that after you've drove around a while. Are, they don't ask any of those questions. Do you have enough money to buy the ticket? That might be a legitimate question now. But whatever, <clears throat> they are not going to ask all those questions. They're just going to come in. They're going to trust the person driving and any other adult in that vehicle. And they're going to believe that what you told them, oh Lord help us, is going to happen. Makes me want to cry how we do the Lord. They're going to believe it. They're going to step into it. I'm going to say something here that's hard. But it's true. Some people get more out of God than others. Because they take Him at His word. They don't argue with Him. They don't say, did you check the brakes? Have you got enough gas? Do you have enough money? They just take Him at His word. If God owns everything, what do we have to be worried about? Nothing. 
So block logic is how we're, we should be living our lives. That's how we should be living our lives. Decisions based on obedience. That's how they made their decisions. Not based on other criteria. Greeks and Westerners, etc. We make decisions based on logic and reasoning, pros and cons. And this, this came out. <clears throat> if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke 5. Nowhere is this illustrated more than right here. In Luke chapter 5. Let me show you <coughs> how um, <coughs> linear logic and block logic collide. In Luke chapter 5 verse 1, this is a familiar story probably to all of us. This is Peter again, whom we love. Peter is a, he's clearly a human being. <laughs> and we all take comfort in that. He and David, David in the Old Testament, Peter in the New Testament. They sh sure show us this, the human, human side. And God done that for a reason. So it says, so it was as the multitude pressed about him, speaking of Jesus, to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two boats standing by the lake. But the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. So they're done fishing. That's the setting. They're through fishing. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's. We know it was Peter later. And asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. Now, that boat was the biggest, most dearest, most important thing in Peter's life outside of people. That's how he took care of his family. That's how he made his living. Peter didn't have any material possession in him that was more important than that boat. So I'm going to give you a word. Don't have anything in your life that God can't use. I don't care if it's a Roth, a CD, or a checking account, or anything. Do not have anything in your life that God cannot touch. He may not ask for it. He may not want to borrow it. He may not use it. But we're always way ahead when we let the Lord use what we have. We saw another guy do that. Here come a little boy. Jesus is getting ready to feed thousands. And he let the Lord have his dinner. Sometimes we're missing out on that reward because we won't turn loose of what's important to us. Are you hearing me? You know why Abraham is the father of faith? Because he was willing to turn loose of the most important thing he had. That's who God's looking for. <clears throat> he made it clear. They were on the side of the roads praising and singing that day. And they said, we need to tell them to shut up. And he said, if I tell them to shut up, the rocks will cry out. God don't need our talents. God can use donkeys, rocks, great fish to get His will done. God's looking for those people who will trust Him and obey Him. That's what gives us favor with God. God could have sent a donkey in this pulpit this morning and preached. He can get His message out with a rooster. God's looking for people 
who will trust Him and take Him at His word. And so the little boy gave up the thing that was that's all he had. Young. Like a little child. Here's what I got. You can use it. How many of us would have said, hey, this is my lunch. Right? It's a long way back to my house. Linear logic would have kicked in. Here's what we say a lot of times. They should have brought their own lunch. Right? That's linear logic. Why didn't they bring their own lunch? How dumb is that? And linear logic kicks in. And when linear logic kicks in, it starts bringing pride into us and causes us to judge others. And that's how us Westerners live our lives too much. Oh, we're smart. Look at us. Headed toward $40 trillion in debt in this country. Nothing's really getting better. It's not just the last administration's fault or the one before. We've been leaving God since the 1920s, if you'll read your history book. We've been walking out on God since the 1920s. The roaring 20s. When man figured out how to do so many wonderful things. But in the midst of figuring out how to do so many wonderful things, he walked out on God. Or started walking out on God. And so Peter's here and he's, he's getting ready to get a challenge. When he stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out of the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Now here is the real, here's the real picture of what I'm trying to say to you in the Scripture. Peter is not fully equipped spiritually yet. His mother-in-law's just been healed. A lot of things going on drawing him in. But here he is watching this mighty one of God, has seen his power and his authority, and he's watching him do this, and he's getting, getting ready to get a challenge to his natural man. Jesus says, launch out of the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Now that's linear logic, right? I don't know what else he's thinking, but I know how quick my brain thinks. And I just... You got those files. Just, you're just like a computer filing through. Man, we fished all night. I know how to fish. I don't need nobody telling me how to fish. Been doing this my whole life practically. The fish finder. There were no fish on the fish finder. And just, you know, he's not saying any of these things. But come on now. And that's what starts working on us. We let our brains start getting inside and, and overcome what God's speaking to us, right? Now, come on. Now, nobody faced this challenge more than Gideon. Gideon's standing there with 20, in the high 20-some thousand. The guy across the, the way has got 120-some, 130,000. He's already in a deficit. And then God says, uh, let all the scaredy cats go home. I can't use them. That's interesting, isn't it? Let the people who are moved by fear, controlled by fear, send them to the house. We can't use them. So he gets down to 10,000. And then by the time he's done, he's got 300. Now that stuff makes your brain mad, right? God comes in and whittles you down. So Peter's facing this challenge, and this is where it's clearly seen, I believe, that he's, he knows how to fish. In fact, he's just been fishing the whole evening. And he's good at it. Obviously, he's making a living at it. He's sustaining his family. And so all this is probably playing through his mind. But he makes a decision. 
He makes a decision, how the Hebrews were trained, He makes a decision to just stand in that moment and take that word. Even though everything He just experienced was contrary to that. Now there's it. there it is. It's not just looking forward that linear logic can mess us up sometimes with our faith, but it's also looking backwards. And this is why this place in the Bible illustrates this probably better than any other place. He had just experienced all the negative about not catching fish. He just was cleaning his nets. He was done. And he'd been out there doing what he'd always done, and there were no fish. And so Jesus sends him back out into that moment and into that environment. And that's what you've got to know, that when He speaks a word, you cannot let what's behind you influence you, and you cannot let what you see in front of you influence you. You just have to take Him at His word in that moment. And that's what God's looking for. He's looking for people that will take Him at His word and then pisteo. Step into that moment. So Peter works through it, obviously. He says, uh, nevertheless, he gives his, his natural side, right? He said, we've told all night and caught nothing, right? That comes out of him because that's the natural man. That's that logic, linear logic, pros and cons. And then he says, we've told all night, but nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. Now, in their natural, nothing about this looks right. In fact, he's in a different situation than the children of Israel going around Jericho. He's already been out there, and nothing's went on. And then, he's told to go right back out. But now, he's, he's going out on a word from the Lord. How many found that out? You get out there and try to do stuff on your own, Fall flat. And then when God gives you the unction, life changes. And so that's important for us to learn. God don't ask you to figure everything out. There's no way Jochebed was sitting at home and had mapped out everything that was going to befall Moses. There's no way she had all that worked out. But I could just see her and, and them headed that way saying, we're defying Satan. We're defying everything the devil, everything the enemy's doing. We're going to stand with God and take little Moses down there and stick him in the edge of the river. She didn't have it worked out that Pharaoh was going to put her on the palace payroll to change her own son's diapers. She didn't have all that figured out. And she surely didn't have it figured out that God was going to raise her son in a pagan palace and make him one of the greatest leaders that's ever walked the face of the earth. Protect Him. Now I'm going to tell you something. God's going to do things in your life that's going to make your brain mad. It's going to challenge because we're all trained. That's how we're trained educationally. We're all trained that way with this, with this linear logic. And so we govern our lives that way. And that may be okay in some sectors of our lives. But when it comes to our faith, we've got to be living in block logic. And you'll have that challenge with your children too. 
God may lead them in a path that you had no idea He was going to take them. He may take them on a journey that you hadn't planned for them. But the Father knows what's best. I'll give an example of this. It's all through your Bible. You're going to start seeing it. And then I'll close. The prodigal is sitting at the house and his heart is not right. Fear would captivate most parents and say, you're not leaving. I'm keeping you here. You can't do anything. But wisdom in that father's heart understood that his son was never going to change until he understood what was going on. That's a hard road. It's a hard road to say, you can go. It's a hard road. It's a hard road to watch God use things that are unorthodox to us and cause us to triumph. It's a hard road for Judah to look at Tamar and say, you're more righteous than I am. We can't fully understand God's ways because we're finite and He's infinite. That's why if you try to follow God like the Greeks would have, you'll get frustrated and maybe even angry. Because God wants a group of people that will just take Him at His word. The question is, is that going to be you and I? Let's stand to our feet. Peter faced all kinds of obstacles probably in his mind to get in that boat and go back out. We do too. We face lots of obstacles to answering the call of what God's doing in our lives. You remember what Jeremiah said? How can the clay say to the potter, what are you doing? Now how many moments, how many rewards have you and I missed out on because we use linear logic instead of block logic. Instead of just taking God at His word and leaving the results up to Him. How many of us have missed a moment with God? A reward. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank You for this opportunity. And over the years, Lord, we all learn how to do things. In fact, we learn how to do church. We learn how to do this. And we learn how to do that. And sometimes it makes us not open to the reality of the surprises of faith in our life. When you step in that moment and say, I know you're 90 years old, but you're going to have a child. I know it's never rained, but I need you to build a boat. I know you've already fished all night. But there's some fish out there. Waiting to be caught. 
Will you take God at His Word? Have you learned how to be a Christian? Have you learned how to be a son or a daughter? Have you learned how to be a servant? God don't revolve around us. We revolve around Him. Peter got that reward. He got the largest catch of fish his whole life. We all want to see the reward of the Lord in more ways than certainly material and salvations for people we love and care about in the Lord's glory in our lives so that people can see who He is. Lord, I pray over our people now that we would take you at your word, that we would please you by having faith, stepping into those moments without any regard for the results, leaving that totally up to you. Will you help us, Lord? Will you help us today? Will you make us more like you? Will you help us to be like little children? Will we start taking you at your word and leaving the circumstances up to you? Help us, Lord. We need your help. We want to live in block logic. We want to live as people that take you at your word. If you're here this morning and you're watching us, you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. We want you to have the freedom to do that today. Just step out of your seat. Kneel where you're at in front of a screen. And ask Jesus to forgive you. and Come into your heart and make Him Lord. Where He has the freedom to speak into your life. Where He takes you on a journey where you will not withhold anything from Him. He's not withheld anything from you and I. He gave us His only begotten Son. Whatever your need is, physical, spiritual, emotional, this altar is open as we begin to worship Him this morning. Come and do your business with the Lord this morning.